Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Christmas Eve is right around the corner, and we want to invite you to join us for Christmas with Collective. We will have four identical Christmas Eve services starting on December 23rd at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. and continuing on December 24th at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. It's going to be an amazing night, so we want to encourage you to grab your family, your friends, and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. To learn more, head to www.mycollective.church. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Pastor Michael throwing shade at his dad but acting like he doesn't do the exact same thing. And you may remember a couple of weeks ago, he talked about how his dad went out into the woods and cut down this tree, and that's what they did for Christmas in their house. But the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. The sap sticks, I guess, because I know this. I was the one who gave him the saw and encouraged him to cut the tree down. Now, we went to college together, Pastor Michael and I did, and we wanted to spread a little bit of Christmas cheer on campus by putting up a Christmas tree on the roof of our dorm. Now, let's just pause there for a second. Let's settle the debate. Are you on team real tree or are you on team fake tree? Are you embracing the smell and the pine noodles everywhere or just going down to the basement and grabbing it out of the box? So my team real tree people, where are you at? Very passionate. My fake crowd. Where's my fake crowd? Also very passionate. Uh, We in our household, we are on Team Realtree, which means the kids aren't getting any presents this year because the money is gone. Have you seen the prices of trees? It's insane. But Pastor Michael, he's been a Realtree guy ever since that night in college. It's those two or three weeks in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's cold and gray and dreary. Nestled in the Appalachian Mountains, it gets dark at 5 o'clock at night. There's the dread of finals hitting you in the face. There's no Christmas spirit. So we decided we were going to change that. And security on campus is kind of like the Washington, what's my name again, football team and touchdowns, (laughs) non-existent. (laughs) Ravens fans, your January letdown is coming. Don't worry. So Pastor Michael, myself, and two others borrowed a French truck and a saw, and we went and cut down a Christmas tree. And this thing was a monster. I worked on the landscaping team, and there was a spot behind the dump where nobody ever went. And this is where we went and cut down our tree, went to Walmart, bought a ton of rope, and we're struggling to get this thing up on top of the dorm. And all of this noise starts to attract attention. People are a little bit curious. So who do they see but these guys right here? This is our crew. Nobody is surprised that it was us. And if you look front and center in that picture, you see college pastor Michael looking a little bit angry. But nobody was surprised because this is us. This is what we did. They knew that this was us. So at graduation, literally, I go and I hug our president as he gives me my diploma as I'm walking across stage. And I say, Thanks for not kicking me out of school. (laughs) Because he could have kicked all of us out of school. But this is just who we were. So a lot of rope, a lot of cinder block for a Christmas tree base. We get the tree up. But what's a tree without any lights? So we go back to Walmart, grab a bunch of lights, throw as many as we can on the tree, go to bed about 4 AM, super pumped for the next day, and everybody talking about it on campus. And by 9 AM, the tree is gone. Exactly. We were angry, but undeterred. So the next year, we did it again. And we did 
two Christmas trees, and those lasted for about an entire day. And the year after that, we added a sleigh and some reindeer and some decorations. And that lasted the entire two weeks until all the students went home on campus. And we were just trying to do our part as college kids to make campus more festive, spread a little bit of joy. And Pastor Michael and I will both tell you that we are amateurs to the real king, which is this guy. How can you not love this movie? Last night, I tried to say our girls, we're going to watch Elf, and this is going to be great. And they revolted against me, and they said they didn't like it. I was like, you can go find a new family. (laughs) If this isn't in your top five, I don't know what you are doing. I just like to smile. Smiling is my favorite. Hey, have you seen these toilets? They're ginormous. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? You smell like beef and cheese. You sit on a throne of lies. And perhaps the best known of all, help me out here, the best way to spread Christmas cheer. Sing now for all the You got it. Exactly. And in the month of December, I'm known a little bit too much as a Scrooge. I'm working on it, but I love this movie. It is so funny. Buddy the Elf perfectly introduces today's theme of joy. And in this movie, no matter how much his dad initially hates him, the girl rejects him or he feels lost and isolated, joy is his persona. He's the kind of person in your life that makes you feel better, that you want to be around. Buddy the Elf is joy personified. And Buddy the Elf is 20 years old this year. Did you know that? I know, right? Crazy. We're talking about joy, and I just made everybody feel super old. You're welcome. But two decades later, every December, we watch this movie, and it fills our hearts with happiness and joy. And one of the first things to understand this morning is the major difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is mentioned in the Bible 10 times, joy or rejoicing 430 times. It's really important to know the difference. And we're talking about joy for a reason. Check this out. And as you are looking at this, this does not come straight from the Bible. This does not come from a Christian author. This is a secular source that recognizes joy is a spiritual experience. Happiness is about self-pleasure. Happiness necessitates more, bigger, the latest. And don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that those things are bad. A couple in this church gave me a mullet-themed coloring book, and it made me so happy. Maybe a little bit too happy. You know I'm not going to miss a chance to bring that back. I love the mullet. It made me so happy, but... That is temporary. Happiness is temporary. Joy is lasting through the circumstances. Joy is contentment. Simply put, happiness is a feeling based on circumstances. Joy is an attitude that defies life circumstances. Joy is an everlasting state because of who Jesus is. Joy comes from Jesus. And stolen joy comes from Satan. And today we're going to look at that contradiction of joy. And we know stolen joy comes from Satan, and true and pure and lasting joy comes from Jesus. And whether you feel like you have joy right now or not, it is a part of your story. So 
Are you a joyful person? Think about the day-to-day of your life. Is joy a defining circumstance of who you are? Why or why not? True joy only comes from faith in Jesus. True joy only comes from faith in Jesus. And when Jesus is the leader of your life, he defies the life circumstances that are right in front of you. And when you experience that, the natural reaction is to want to give that to other people. The byproduct of the joy of Jesus in your heart is to want to give that joy and share that joy, share Jesus with the people that you know. But we also know John 10, 10 tells us that Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we sit in that state, life throws uh, curveballs at us. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy our joy. Not only is our joy stolen, but we become like him in specific actions and specific consequences. We steal joy away from other people. And society makes it seem like December should be the most joy-filled part of the year. Everybody's happy. It's actually fun to go outside at night in the freezing cold. There's parties. There's gifts for everybody. But we know December can be a very hard month. I know as a single man, December was a month to endure and get through until the calendar turned to January. And when it seems like we should be at our happiest, sometimes that's when life hits the hardest. Something or someone is constantly trying to steal your joy. When life hits, it's not just joy that is taken away. Go back to that chart. It is joy, but it's also gratitude, peace, contentment, religion, even your thoughts about God himself. And we know that Satan's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. And he wants to take that from you. Part of that is your joy. And if you're like me, when that happens, when I sit in that place, I become more like Satan and become one who steals joy away from other people as well. And I'm guessing on some level you have felt that this month. Loneliness. The dread of gift giving and getting gifts, having to open up gifts in front of other people. I need to have the perfect reaction that you are looking for so you feel like you gave me a really awesome gift. And then I have to give you this thing and hope that I gave you something that you actually want. And do I get you a gift or do I not get you a gift? Because you got me something and I didn't get you something. Super awkward. So just buy it. Financial stress. That's a ton of money. Family drama and expectations spoken and unspoken. When your kids don't want to spend time with you, and even if you try to do something nice for other people, and it blows up in your face. You remember the scene from the movie? He stays up all night decorating the toy store. Check this out.
Buddy the Elf works so hard. And what's the store manager's response? He's paranoid and he's angry. He just wants to connect with his dad. But instead, his dad screams at him, get out of my life. And his new love, Jovi, at first, she passionately and harshly rejects him. Something or someone is coming to steal your joy. And in our family, part of that happens through grief. Grief is a part of our Christmas story forever. We shared a lot about this on our our episodes of the Your Story Mattered podcast through our church. But we are a family of four pregnancies and three kids. And every year, we start the Christmas season by remembering the baby that we lost. Tomorrow... My wife and I are taking our youngest for a brain scan because she was a couple weeks ago crying in the middle of the night, and we grabbed her. She's having a seizure, two years old. This is very scary. My family for generations has a history of epilepsy. So my mind just starts to wander about all of the what if, and the what if and the unknown is a very frightening place to be. We have grief. We have fear. I personally have anger. This is the negative emotional undercurrent of my life. I am also conflict avoidant to a fault. This is a terrible combination. I'm constantly angry. Never do anything to resolve that anger, which just makes me constantly angry. And the cycle continues. And we as the leaders of this church want you to know we embrace our messiness and our brokenness. And we openly talk about this. Pastor Michael has done a great job of modeling this for us because no judgments, no shame. And instead of hiding, we embrace our brokenness and allow God to heal that part of us. So I stand before you as a leader, somebody who's been here since collective was six people in a living room. And I tell you, I have anger issues. And a lot of times I don't deal with it in appropriate ways. But I'm also 100% confident that I am not the only person in the room. If you're being honest, you would say that about yourself specifically men who struggle with anger, I am right next to you in that journey of trying to allow Jesus to heal that part of my life. A couple of weeks ago, I came home from work, and our five-year-old little girl comes bouncing up to me with so much joy on her face and runs up to me, jumps into my arms, and says, Daddy, Mommy bought me a watch. Isn't that cool? And that feeling came back. I was instantly angry. And I didn't take it out on our five-year-old. I took it out on my wife. Why would you buy that without telling me? There's too much crap in this house already anyway. She's going to forget about it in three days. It's going to be lost on her couch. Why are you wasting our money on such stupid stuff? And I exploded on my wife in front of our little girl over a $4 watch. Today, I have no idea where that watch is, not because it got returned, but because a five-year-old little girl interpreted this thing that brings me joy that I am excited about is bad. My watch makes daddy angry. I make daddy angry. But she never told me what happened to it, but she just knew. 
And now that watch is gone and all of the joy that came with it. So this is when we need to take a look at ourselves and ask the hard question, how am I stealing joy away from other people around me right now? We mentioned that someone or somebody is coming to steal your joy. But before you even think about that, think about yourself. How are you stealing joy away from other people? Men, are your anger issues out of control? Is your desire for sex from your wife greater than your commitment to make her feel loved and valued every single day? Young men, are you handling your sexual desires in appropriate or sinful ways? When you are at home, are you respecting your parents? Women, is your desire for the perfect Hallmark Christmas ruining the joy of Christmas in your house? Is your longing for a Christian spouse turning into a lust for love that leads to poor relational choices, whether you are in a relationship or not? Young women, are you respecting your parents at home? Are you a joy at home? Are you constantly ignoring the ones that love you the most? See, when we, when I steal joy away from other people, in that moment, I become more like Satan than I do like Jesus. And that thought has been really hard for me, getting ready to be up here with you this morning. A $4 watch turned me into one who stole and killed and destroyed. Are you stealing joy away from other people? Is Satan coming to steal your joy? And life is hard. I know this, and you know this. I see your prayer requests every week. I read them every week. Many of you have major health concerns in your family, like we do. Custody battles, trying so hard desperately to stay sober, jobs, financial stress. You want to fully trust God, or you want somebody in your life to make that decision. Something or someone is coming to steal your joy. But I love what Jesus says in John chapter 16. Jesus is with his disciples, his closest friends. He's telling them that he's leaving them on this earth. The last conversation that he has with them face to face, modern day, this is the family gathered around the hospital bed saying their final goodbyes. And Jesus' words in verse 33 are as comforting now as they were to his disciples back then. Verse 33 says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Life's going to be hard. Not all the time. There's going to be great moments in life that are going to want to make your heart burst because you're so full of joy, but life can also break you. And in those moments, Jesus sees you, Jesus understands you, Jesus never leaves you. Take heart because he has overcome the world. And once you recognize that and you realize where true joy in life comes from, the natural response is to give your life in a relationship to Jesus. And if this isn't a step that you have taken yet, check the baptism box on your connection card. Following Jesus and choosing to be baptized is the beginning of your journey toward true and complete joy. And we talk about baptism every week at Collective because of how important it is. And I know I have talked with people in this church who said, I'm ready to check the box. I want to get baptized. And then something happens. Financial stress, their struggles, somebody gets sick. You read something in the Bible that you don't fully understand and feel like you need more time. Life derails that decision. And I know that some of you are on the fence. You've been thinking about making this step. On our fridge at home, 
we have a list of people that we are praying for to get baptized. We don't apologize for it. We are bold in our prayers about it. And you'll find out why in just a few minutes. But when you check the baptism box, you're simply saying, I want to start to have a conversation. And a staff member will reach out and have that conversation with you this week. And this Christmas, we have four identical Christmas Eve services, as you heard in our host spot, the 23rd, the 24th, 3 p.m., 5 p.m. Both of those nights, we already have baptism scheduled. The trough will be set up. And you can join other people in that decision to give your life to Jesus next week. So far this morning, the focus has been inward, looking at us as people who potentially steal joy, our need for Jesus to be our ultimate source of joy. But also, one of the best days of your life is when you realize that your life is not about you. Specifically, we get joy by investing in other people. If you want a biblical model for what this looks like, look at Paul. He's a great example of this. Once he met Jesus, he spent the rest of his life investing in other people, introducing them to Jesus, and starting the earliest churches. Paul realized joy came from helping people bump into Jesus who had never experienced that before or were far away from God. And that idea has shaped so much of who we are as a church. Pastor Michael and his wife, Ray, shared on their Your Story Matters podcast about the history of Collective and how from the very beginning, the intentionality and the focus of this church has been for people who are lost, far away, or have never been close to God. And I know it's really easy to think, well, this only applies to people who already believe in Jesus, because if I haven't made this decision in my own life, why in the world would I invest and invite somebody to do that I haven't even done yet? And that is a great question, but I want you to think about the people in your life around you. Do you want them to have a better life, less stress, more joy? Jesus is the ultimate source So whether you are far from God or love him with all your entire heart, who are you investing in and who are you trying to introduce to Jesus? And we're going to learn about why this is so important by looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. But before we get that, we're going to dig into some of the context as to why this book in the Bible was written. And to do that, we're going to look at the book of Acts. Acts tells us that Paul started a church in the city of Thessalonica, and just like Frederick, Thessalonica used to be a small, sleepy town. Then they experienced massive growth, and that town grew up. They actually stood on what was called the Via Ignatia, the Roman highway to the east that connected them to Asia and to the Far East. And so think of the Via Ignatia, like 15, which is 270, which is Washington, D.C. It is a connector to a major hub. And eventually, that city had around 200,000 people living in it. Frederick has 80,000 for context. And we know that Paul visited the city of Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. Very simplified, a missionary journey is Paul traveling around to a region, introducing people to Jesus, and starting Jesus. And this is exactly what he did in Thessalonica. All he wants to do is to introduce people to Jesus and for them to know the joy that comes from a relationship with him. And their response is to want to kill him. I have to think that this impacted his joy in some type of way. Not on that level, but think about yourself this week. For you, you invited, and it got super awkward. 
You wanted to invite, but maybe you got a little bit too scared and didn't take advantage of that opportunity. I invited this week, and it didn't go great, to be honest with you, but that's okay. We have a desire to share Jesus just like Paul, and something happens to take that joy away from that invitation. But Paul perseveres. Acts 17 tells us, verse 2, he came to Thessalonica, and he went to the synagogue. For the word synagogue, think local church, and the three Sabbaths means three weeks. So he spent at least three weeks in this new town he'd never been to before. Many scholars believe up to three months he was there in Thessalonica. Verses 4 and 5 tells us that many people believed, both men and women, but other people were jealous, and they began to form mobs and began to turn the city into a riot because they were asserting that Paul was saying, Paul was saying Jesus was king. This is a threat to Caesar, so they see Paul as an authoritarian and governmental threat. So they stir up a bunch of trouble, and these people in Thessalonica who believe in Jesus are like, Paul, you got to get out of here. They want to kill you, so they send him away to a different town. The people who are stirring up trouble find that Paul has left, and they go and find him again. And so from the, the, the people from Thessalonica, their response is to get Paul out. And so as you can see on the screen here, the people in Thessalonica accompanied Paul all the way to Athens, then they turned around and went home. And Corinth is circled near the bottom of this picture with an arrow pointing up to the city of Thessalonica. And when Paul wrote this first Thessalonians letter, he was in Corinth so far down the coast because his life was at risk if he stayed where he had just been in Thessalonica. But his new friends are still on his mind. He had invested in them. Some of them now believed in Jesus. The city was in turmoil, and he wanted to do something. So he reached out and wrote them a letter, and that letter is the book of 1 Thessalonians. And the letter opens up with Paul singing his praises about them. He says, you have become an example in the faith. Everywhere we go, we hear great stories about all the wonderful things you are doing. We worked so hard when we were there. I want to come back and visit you. And all of this leads up to chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you, yes, you, are our pride and joy. And Paul is talking about when he gets to heaven. He doesn't say how happy he is that he made it, that all the hard work was worth it for him because he now gets to enjoy heaven. His joy is them. His joy is his new believers, his friends in Thessalonica that are going to be with him in heaven one day. This isn't self-serving and taking it easy, retiring at the beach. This is the people that Paul got to introduce to Jesus. And he says, you are my joy. And if you want to know one of the reasons why Pastor Michael is so adamant about you being here next week and inviting people to come with you, one of the best days of your life is when you realize that your life isn't about you at all. Once Jesus enters your heart and you become baptized and you give your life to him, your focus goes away from me to others. And we know that people are receptive to an invitation at Christmas time, and true joy comes from a relationship with Jesus. So if that's true of me, I want that to be true of all the people in my life as well. So I want to give them this joy and introduce them to Jesus. 
Joy doesn't come from Gimbel's toy store. It doesn't come from being the best elf who falls in love with the girl, saves his relationship with his dad, and yes, saves all of Christmas too. All of those things are wonderful. But I have to wonder for Buddy the Elf, when he woke up on December 26th, what did that feel like? Was there a January letdown? Because when a date on the calendar is our source of joy, anticipation builds. But even during that event, it's bittersweet because we know that it's over. And I would argue that Buddy's joy was circumstantial. But true joy comes from a relationship with Jesus and wanting other people to have that exact same thing. The spouse, the friend, the neighbor, the person at school, whoever it is. Joy is felt and lived when that person makes a decision to choose to join you in heaven one day. And everyone in this room, no matter where you are at in your relationship with Jesus, you are here because somebody said, I want you to experience that joy also. So for our names that we are praying for on our fridge, you're in this room. I see you. We laugh with you. You are wonderful to our kids. You are great friends. We spent a week with you at CIY this summer. If you are a high school student, we believe in you. We love you. But we are praying that you don't stay the same. Yes, you are loved exactly as you are. But we are saying big prayers, especially for you. Because when me and my love swerve get to heaven one day, we want you to join us. Because you are going to be our pride and joy, knowing that you are there with us. True joy only comes from a relationship with Jesus. And some of you have made that decision this morning. And if you have, who's on your list? Who are you inviting? Because one invitation can change someone's life forever. Some of you need to make that decision to have a relationship with Jesus. And if that is you, I want you to hear Paul's words again. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. And if that's you, there are people in this room who are praying for you specifically by name that you experience the joy of Jesus in spite of the circumstances of what is life. Joy comes from a relationship with Jesus. And if that is you, with those verses that you just heard, I'm going to encourage you to make it personal and add your name. After all, names like Sam, Lynn, Debbie, Travis, Shonda, Corey, Logan, and every person in this room, what gives us hope and joy? And what will our proud reward be when we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you, yes, you are our pride and joy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that you are the ultimate source of joy. No matter what December is throwing at us, grief, fear, anger, anxiety, joy, and anything in between, you are the ultimate source of what we want and what we are looking for. God, I pray that we take that step towards you, whether that is a step of a relationship with you or another step greater in our relationship this December so that we can know and continue to have and experience true 
and complete joy. It's in your son's name. Amen.